What is going on, everyone? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host. As always, I am joined by my friend and co-host on the show here in the great state of Ohio. I call him the scrappy socialist. It's Patrick Mayhorn. Man, Ohio State football is, I think, probably the worst part of my life. (laughs) How much of this podcast are we going to have to copy and paste from last week? Should I just go into audition and cut and just control V? We should just post the Indiana episode again. (laughs) All right, so we're we're here to talk about Ohio State's 30-14 win over the Minnesota Golden Gophers from this past Saturday. We're a little late on the uh, on the recap tip here my apologies i was traveling down to los angeles i do not regret having not to cover this game i was just watching the way while to go, i was yeah. meeting meeting my girlfriend's father and i will say that was much less uncomfortable than watching this game was i will say that as a very certain fact but i was watching the game as it happened and i, I sound was off so i couldn't have too many like takeaways of what was happening adjustments that were being made but man it just looked like one of those games for Ohio State that we have seen very often a lot of the same things that were popping up Dwayne Haskins also had a phenomenal day throwing for 412 yards and three touchdowns but what what are your general takeaways here let's let's get this thing rolling I don't know where it's gonna go or finish up but let's start from the top well I I think that Generally, looking at college football from a a purely numbers standpoint is is kind of a a slippery slope because I don't think numbers tell everything about a football game, which uh, we learned a lot this week as um, our mentions were just flooded with people saying, but Ohio State only gave up 14 points. But I, I think a lot of what you need to know about this game essentially is that it was 20 to 14 at the end of the third quarter. And that's against a Minnesota team that just got stomped by Iowa and Maryland. And I don't, I don't think Iowa and Maryland are are particularly bad. I think they're both actually pretty pretty decent. Maryland secretly so. Iowa is more of the the traditional Iowa good. But that's all to say that this is not a very good Minnesota team. I I mean they're respectable enough, but they're they're not great by any means they have a a true freshman walk-on quarterback a running back who really hadn't done much of anything this season and a receiving group that really only has one guy a a slot receiver Tyler Johnson and those three guys gashed Ohio State's defense filled with four and five stars for pretty much the whole game regardless of what the 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 scoreboard indicates uh, to the tune of nearly 400 yards and it was i mean we we joked about copy and pasting the the indiana recap um and it's really not that far off it was a very similar issue it was that minnesota i i wrote a full defensive film study breakdown um with you know what was going wrong um suggestions to fix it that greg shiano will not ever take but um that that if anyone wants to read they can do that it's on my twitter it's on uh landgrantholyland.com but basically the the issue is that ohio state blitzes six guys every single play and their cornerbacks have no help over top so they really they're on an island and teams can run slants on islands all day long and the pressure that you bring doesn't matter because they can throw a slant in one second and Minnesota did that all game long. And in the second half, it kind of dried up a little bit because their quarterback stinks. But 
it, it really was just Ohio State banging their head into the wall over and over and over. And Minnesota, I mean, Minnesota threw two interceptions in Ohio State territory. They missed two kicks. That's a possible 20 points that they that they lost out on because of their own mistakes. And Ohio State won by 16, and that's not not great against Minnesota. I think if Minnesota was was any kind of better, and Ohio State played like this, if Minnesota was like uh, I don't know, like Purdue level good or something like that, just just throwing a random team out there, I think Ohio State would have lost this game. They 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 played really really poorly, and that's reflected in. Bill Connolly's post-game win expectancy, which was 66%, which is not good against Minnesota. Yeah, and I, I don't have any, I don't have too many specific things just from not, you know, really parsing the game over with a fine-tooth comb, and I, I don't want to complain a lot about the same stuff we talked about last week, and I didn't see much of the talk online after the game, but I, I think one thing that I'm extremely tired of hearing about when Ohio State plays the way they did against Minnesota and the way they did last week was, well, the 2014 team. I love those ones. <laughs> they didn't blow out every single team, and, and and that's fair. But when when we really break that down, and I'm looking at the 2014 schedule right now, we're going to debunk that a little bit. I want to go off on a little bit of a tangent here because I don't want to spend 45 minutes talking about what we saw in the nitty-gritty of Saturday because a lot of it like we've been saying is basically the same yeah I think we know what the problems are but just looking back at at 2014 here for for just a minute if if you'll indulge me Mm -hmm. you know first game of the season they were in a close game with Navy on the road in Baltimore with a young quarterback JT Barrett making his first start and a lot of really young guys on that team that hadn't had a lot of experience Darren Lee was a guy that not many people talked about he ended up making a game-changing play in that game we saw Barrett step up in the second half, and that was fine. Good win against a tough triple option team. Navy always plays Ohio State and basically every other team they play tough. The next week, Virginia Tech. Ohio State got blitzed by a defensive scheme they hadn't seen before and got beat down pretty bad. And I think that's the game that everybody always points to, and, well, you know what happened in that one. But the difference is, after that game, Ohio State got better. Ohio State learned from facing that bare front because every team after that tried to do that to them. Wisconsin tried to do it in the Big Ten Championship game, and they lost 59 to nothing. Alabama tried to do it, and Ohio State ran for more yards on them than the Nick Saban defense had ever given up before. Then they played a very good Oregon team. They turned the ball over, what, four times? And they still won by 22 points and blew out Oregon despite having a turnover margin of at least minus three in that game. And even the middle portion of that schedule, the closest games were at Penn State, which I don't think Penn State was a world beater that year, and Ohio State had to win in overtime. But that's a game, a night game on the road at Penn State. That's fine. They played tough. I'm okay with that. Michigan State, a 12-point game. Ohio State probably should have won by more. That was a very good Michigan State team, and Ohio State proved a lot, especially after what happened to them the previous year. The game, it seems like, are the two games that everybody wants to bring up when it comes to, well, they're, they're struggling a little bit. The Minnesota game, which they were up 31-14 to late in the game. I think Minnesota recovered an onside kick. It was a snowy game. Ohio State controlled that whole game. The Indiana game was the biggest one, and... 
I think that's the least defensible here. But also, Tevin Coleman was a legit NFL guy who dominated Ohio State that day and had like 200-plus yards rushing and has been a pretty solid NFL player for a couple of years now. So that's where I'll stand on defending all of that stuff. And the Michigan game at the end of the year, Michigan always plays that game tough. We've seen terrible Michigan teams play uh, play Ohio State very tough. So I, I'm tired of hearing the 2014 team it, you know, it had went through the same stuff because when they took their loss and they had their struggles, they got better. And my second point of this would be that, okay, that was one time. The stars aligned, everything happened. Ohio State went on and won the national championship. The other times they've had problems, 2013, 2015, 2016, 2017, this season remains to be seen, but those other four years, they weren't able to reach their potential because they had a coaching staff that was holding them back. The talent didn't quite match, whatever it may be. We've seen more instances of Ohio State not being able to reach that tippy top potential. And to be clear, I'm not complaining here. It's been awesome. This is the best run in the history of the program. I love every second of it, but there's always that singular like, ugh. There's something that's holding them back from being on a le- on another level because this is a program that should have two national championships in this span and doesn't because in certain moments they don't adjust. And right now they aren't reaching their potential because they aren't adjusting and they're doing the same things over and over again. And something I put out on Twitter during the game just watching it was, you know, a loss might not be the worst thing for this team, whether it's Purdue next week or you know Michigan State or Michigan whoever it may be a loss might be the thing that kicks this coaching staff's ass and and makes them put something in gear and say huh well we finally lost we can't say well we're still winning games we're getting better it's fine I think that at some point they may have to lose to do that and if that's what it takes okay maybe it's not that but I think that that's the way it's trending, that the only thing that is going to change it is them taking a loss. Yeah, and also looking at that 2014 team, I think that that the comparisons in general are just ridiculous. I think it's it's people kind of forgetting what happened in 2014, which is to say that uh, that team struggled a lot against bad teams for the entire season, and people complained about it. And then their quarterback got hurt, forcing them to make a change. And then they made a change, and it, that's not that's not to say that JT Barrett would not have have won that championship. I think he could have, but they were forced to change their offensive schemes. the The defense, the the defensive talent that they had, forced them to change what they were doing, and that's when they started to be good. I, I really don't think that that team was elite until the last three games of the year. I mean, they they struggled against some pretty bad teams. And it wasn't until they made changes that they became what they what they ended up being. And I, I also I think that there's there's something to be said for the fact that that defensive staff had Luke Fickle, who's now a head coach, Chris Ash, who's now a head coach, not a very good one, but he is a head coach, Kerry Combs, who is a by by all accounts an excellent cornerbacks coach now with the Titans and Larry Johnson probably the best defensive line coach in the country they don't have those guys anymore except for Johnson they have a a significantly worse coaching staff I think you know save for for Ryan Day Brian Hartline maybe and Larry Johnson I'm not confident in any of the the coaches on this staff 
being able to make changes. I mean, that staff had Tom Herman running the offense. It had Ed Warner, who isn't a great offensive coordinator, but he was the line coach at the time, and he's very good at that. He's a very good offensive line coach. And it, it's just the the talent that that team had was, you know, they, they stepped up late in the season. The players stepped up, and it's you really can't expect that to just happen again you know it it didn't happen in 2015 it didn't happen in 2016 it didn't happen in 2017 sometimes guys don't get better unless they're pushed by their coaching staff and that was a very good coaching staff i don't think that this current coaching staff is i don't think that this is a very good coaching staff that ohio state has and that's that's kind of what it comes down to you know it it's teams are not going to Teams are not going to make changes if their coaches aren't willing to, and I don't think this coaching staff is willing to. And I I understand that you know the defense is banged up, they've got they've got injuries, but Nick Bosa being back is not fixing that defensive backfield. Uh, Jonathan Cooper being back, same thing. I think you know having Malik Harrison back, he is if anything equal to his replacement Justin Hilliard, if not worse. I, I think Justin Hilliard is probably a better player. It it's really like. Changing schemes in the middle of a season, especially when Greg Schiano seems to really only know how to coach one thing, it's certainly it's a risk. But what's what's the worst thing that could happen? Your defense continues to be awful against big plays. Continues to be awful against short passes. It, I mean, that's the same thing that's currently happening. It's like you you tear it down, it looks the same. <laughs> the defense already stinks. I, it's just this. I don't think that this coaching staff is willing to make changes, and I agree that they they probably have to lose for them to do that. Ohio State probably has to lose for the coaching staff to realize that what they're doing isn't really working. And that's you know it, it's weird to say that about a seven and O team. We we went through that last week with Indiana too, about how this is an undefeated team. This is a team that is is very very talented, and that's why they're undefeated. But Talent only takes you so far in college football. And the best teams in college football, I think the best team in college football, Alabama, they make changes. They they change things when they're not working. They, in the national championship, went out in the second half with a freshman quarterback because their starter wasn't playing well. Nick, Nick Saban, when he realized that his pro-style offense wasn't going to work anymore, went out and hired Lane Kiffin. That's insane. That's an insane thing to do. But it was necessary. And... Switching from a heavy man press coverage scheme with with two linebackers blitzing every single play, switching from a four three to a nickel, is it's scary. You know, switching to a zone in the middle of a season is a scary thing for a defensive coordinator who's very prideful to to do. But they need to do it, and I I just I don't have any confidence that they will. And I think that that's why the comparisons to 2014 are so silly is because that was a very different coaching staff. That was a very different Urban Meyer. Well, no, I'll disagree that the 2014 team struggled with teams. I, I thought they, they put almost everybody in the dirt even before the playoff. And when those games were close, I don't think that it was struggling as much as it was. They took a lot of teams' best shot, and that's my biggest problem with the past couple of years and specifically this team because – We've seen around college football, there are times, Iowa last year, where you're just going to lose and you're going to take a punch from another team. And and that's why that Iowa game doesn't bother me. Iowa played really well. Ohio State wasn't going to win that game. That's fine. If you just get beat by a better team on that day and things aren't going your way, that's that's okay. You're, you're always going to get team's best punch because you're Ohio State and they're going to want, 
want to win. And sometimes that's just going to happen. We we've seen that over the course of the years against the team they're playing this week in Purdue, but this team and specifically the past two weeks just feels like they're playing down to teams. And that's where I have the problem that things that Minnesota and Iowa don't do well at all, big plays on offense, stopping certain things on defense, Ohio state can't take advantage of. And it's as much that Minnesota or Indiana is doing those things as Ohio state's just not willing to adjust and is playing down to them. And that's, that's where my biggest issue with this is in, I've seen people say, well, they, they held them scoreless in the second half. Urban Meyer said that in the postgame and his, uh, his weekly presser to start the week today and that, you know, we, we held them in check. But you know what? That doesn't fly at Ohio State. Not not with this talent. And, you know, Ohio State isn't Purdue. Like, if Purdue held, holds Minnesota to zero points in the second half, that's really great for Purdue. That's a nice day for Purdue's defense. That's a really big step forward for Purdue's defense. Ohio State isn't Purdue. Holding Minnesota in check doesn't cut it. That That's not good enough to say, well, we, we only gave up 14 points when you gave up 10 chunk plays, which Minnesota only had like 16 big plays coming into the game on the whole season. That just isn't going to cut it. And that's the type of stuff that when they play offenses with an actual pulse and with actual talent, they're going to get beat. And not even that, just with an actual scheme, which we're going to see this week. And so it makes me extremely worried that teams that don't have any sort of hope offensively are doing this to them. And it's much different than teams just playing well because I don't think Minnesota and Indiana played particularly well because as we said last week and as you said they left a bunch of points on the field like it wasn't like they were just playing out of their minds like they were taking advantage of Ohio State's deficiencies and when they really had to make a play they couldn't do it because they aren't good enough yeah and I I've seen I've seen plenty of I mean (laughs) whenever you write an article on a pretty major Ohio State website, you'll you'll certainly get the responses from people who have the the Buckeye tinted glasses on. And I, that was something that I really used to struggle with when I was um, a little bit maybe less aware of what was actually happening on the field. And that's not to to slight anybody, but I, I've seen people with the whole you know, well they played better in the second half, they play better in second halves, so they've been great on third down, things like that. That's just not good. Yeah, enough. that's not gonna cut it at Ohio State. Like this coaching staff makes way too much money for the the concession to be, well, they're pretty good in the second half. They they've been better for you know, they're, they're good for, for 30 minutes of a football game. It's like, well, what if Michigan's good for 45 minutes? What if what if Michigan's good for 60 minutes? You know, what if there's a football team that can play well for an entire game and their coaching staff makes the kind of money that Ohio State does? It's, you know, it's the same thing we've been talking about since August, that, you know, this coaching staff's not doing their job. They're, they're not... That with the amount of talent on this team, there's no reason Ohio State should be this confusing she should be this un you know completely unable to to put it all together at once there's a i i mentioned this in my my defensive film study that it's kind of a cruel irony that ohio state is is awesome at passing now and the the thing that they couldn't do for years was was pass you know they couldn't throw the ball down the field it it kept them out of the playoffs several times it kept them from 
winning quite a few games and they could always run they could always play defense that was what they could lean on they can't do either of those things now and it's you know it, there's there is something funny about that 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 when they finally get the passing game together the rest of the the team falls apart and the 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 thing about that is that that's on the coaching staff that's the coaching staff they they have to to be better prepared. They have to get the rest of this team running because the passing game is right now working on talent. It's working on the fact that Dwayne Haskins is an extremely good quarterback and he has a group of receivers who are very, very talented. I, I mean, I, I don't think that that's even really disputable. K.J. Hill, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, all those guys, they're extremely talented. And Dwayne Haskins is a future NFL quarterback. And, I mean... To to compare it to a pretty similar situation, that was what USC was doing for years under Sam Darnold. They had an awesome passing attack with great wide receivers and a great quarterback covering up for the fact that their coach had their coaching staff as a whole, not just one coach, their coaching staff as a whole had no clue what they were doing. And it's just it feels like Ohio State is leaning on the fact that they have so much talent that they can pretty much just just smother these teams later in games because, I mean, that's what the second half turnarounds are about. It's that Minnesota's tired. It's that Indiana's tired. They don't have the depth that Ohio State does. But that's not going to cut it against a team like Purdue that can score a bunch of points on anybody, like a team like Michigan that has not the level of talent that Ohio State does, but the depth of, of guys who are capable. I mean, Michigan's defense is the best in the country. That's that's going to be difficult for Dwayne Haskins to handle, and I don't know if you can just lean on him for that. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, being out coached, being out game planned, not having your offensive line ready to to do one of the two things that an offensive line has to do in run block. It's just it's that's the thing that that upsets me when a team just gets outplayed like you mentioned like when Ohio State just got outplayed by Iowa when Ohio State got outplayed by Virginia Tech when they got outplayed by Oklahoma it's whatever like teams get outplayed it happens it's it's disappointing with the talent level but these are college kids it it happens when a team gets out coached like Ohio State has been every single game this year and the only reason they win is because of one their talent and two because the other team screwed up so much. I mean, unforced errors. All of Minnesota's errors were unforced. It's just, it's disappointing. It's it's a waste of, it's a waste of talent. And it's the same thing that it's been for years now. It, it's, you know, this coaching staff not taking advantage of what they have, not planning, not planning for games at all, not knowing what the other team's weaknesses is, and not adjusting to what the other team is doing. The Ohio State comes in and... To any game, you know what the book is on them. You know that if you pressure the quarterback and if you throw slants on their defense, you can probably put up points and you can probably limit the passing attack. You know that they can't run. You know that their play calling isn't creative enough to open up your defense at all. And you know that their defense stinks. It's easy. It's easy to come into a game and out-game plan Ohio State because they don't change anything ever. It's the same thing every single week, and every single week they go by on talent. It's just it's frustrating. One of the things I really hate seeing over and over again are these long runs where it looks like there's nine dudes on the field for the defense, and Jordan Fuller, who's ever at safety or whoever's at linebacker, has to clean up the mess 20 yards downfield because there's no like second-level any anywhere there's no linebackers there's no nothing it just seems like whoa who's how, how did that happen like is everybody on the field like it, it just seems like 
there are certain things that happen where the coaches are saying, well, these guys are out of position. They're not making enough plays. But like we talked about last week, there's nobody within like 10 yards of wherever the play is going. It's one thing if Tough Borland or Baron Browning, Justin Hilliard, whoever at linebacker is just getting juked and we can tangibly look at it and say, well, that guy just can't play in space. He can't make a tackle. But running backs are going untouched 13, 14, 15 yards down the field until somebody with a pursuit angle has to make a play on him. Yeah, man, I feel bad for Jordan Fuller because he's put in that situation so often. He's, I mean, it's like... It's like every other running play because Ohio State has two linebackers up on the line and another flexed out in a roaming spot every single play. And if those guys don't hit the right gap, if they don't guess right because they don't have time to react because they're on the line, it comes down to Isaiah Pryor or Jordan Fuller to make an an open field tackle, which is very difficult to do in college football on what is usually a pretty good running back. And it's not fair to those guys. It's, you know, it's the same thing we've been talking about, putting – Isaiah Pryor, a sophomore safety who isn't great in coverage, who isn't super confident with his coverage, it doesn't seem like, putting him in man coverage on Minnesota's best slot receiver all game long with a 10-yard cushion, putting Jordan Fuller in positions where he has to make an isolated tackle with no one behind him. It's dumb. It's a dumb thing to do. It, it's not fair to these guys. It's not a good use of talent. And it's you know that's why Ohio State's giving up big runs is because their linebackers are up on the line is because they have one safety back there, and these are college kids, and they're going to make mistakes sometimes. Sometimes Isaiah Pryor isn't going to take a great pursuit angle. You know, Jordan Fuller will miss a tackle. It happens, and it's just there's no reason to be inviting that. Isaiah Pryor, though, shout out to him, did make a nice uh, nice interception. Yeah. Good, little, good little angle. I think he's improving in spite of the coaching staff. Agreed, and we also saw Kendall Sheffield make a play early on the ball for the interception for the first, I think that was the first drive of the game to thwart Minnesota, who was, you know, just getting into Ohio State territory. So that was, despite all of the other stuff that went wrong on defense, was nice to see a couple of plays in the secondary and a very rangy play by Pryor. Um, Sticking on the subject of dudes named Isaiah, can Isaiah Prince get any help from anyone, like an extra blocker, a running back, a chip, Whatever it may be, and and I'm not even gonna dog on Isaiah Prince. He he just had a bad game. Yeah, it, it happens. Yeah. He was facing a, a a good player on the other side, and you know it, it sucks to see he played bad, but it is what it is. But when it just keeps it keeps going on, it was just like man, just just send the dude some help. And if whoever he's blocking continues to rack up sacks okay that's just one of those things you're, you're getting outplayed this dude's on fire he's getting to the quarterback he's beating your tackle and then he's beating your running back to get to him cool that, that's just that happens but again and again and i saw that too this i guess this kind of goes in tandem with, with the passing game you know that drove Dwayne haskins out of the pocket a lot, but there was also I want to give credit to Minnesota secondary because despite giving up all those passing yards, I thought they did like a reasonably decent job because even times that Dwayne Haskins did have some some time to throw, you know he was there was there was some tough plays that Haskins made and that the wide receivers made for him. There weren't a lot of times that it looked like Minnesota got completely burned. We saw one on the really awesome KJ Hill catch for the touchdown that kind of was a great play design too that was a great play design 
and it was great execution and a phenomenal catch by him. But it didn't feel like we saw a lot of those open space plays, at least as much as we saw against Indiana. And I don't know, it, it just felt off the whole game. And I think that all kind of ties back into the inability to run or even slightly get a push and just the 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 black and white nature of some of Ohio State's short yardage mindset and mentality when it's not you know everything up the middle isn't working and you just continue to go to it we saw another uh, handoff to J.K. Dobbins on fourth and one when they were driving in to score get stuffed and, and not even be close on a fourth and short and even in Ohio State's offensive struggles the past few years those fourth and short third and short plays have almost always been a given and right now it's not even like a 50 50 it's like a 25 75 them being able to get it so I think whatever offensive issues there are even though Haskins in the passing game are still able to put up a lot of yardage and look good it kind of all ties back to the running game and they're still not able to get a great push and run the ball yeah, Ohio State's longest drives of the game. Um, they had two 12-play drives, one for 83 yards, one for 71. Um, they had an 11-play drive for fe- for 57 yards and an 8-play drive for 23 yards. Those four drives ended in nine points. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's red zone struggles. That's not being able to run the ball. That's inefficiency. And it's it all comes back to the the, the inability to run, and I, I don't think that it's on the running backs. I mean, we've certainly seen these guys um, show a lot of talent before. I think J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber didn't just forget how to be good. It's just that they don't have anywhere to go, and it it seems like a you know that the. the the approach this offseason was that, well, now that we have Dwayne Haskins, we need to focus on pass blocking. And because of that focus so heavily on the passing game, Ohio State's line is seemingly incapable of, of opening up holes for the run, getting pushed down the field. And I don't know if you know having someone like Brandon Bowen back later in the season would be helpful. Um, you know, I, I think he would probably take over a guard spot if he is to come back. Um, I don't know if that would make a difference, if making some kind of personnel change would make a difference, if maybe putting a, a true center at center and moving Michael Jordan back to his, his guard spot would be helpful. But it, it is just they don't they don't look ready to they don't look ready to help with the run blocking and it's it's really hurting Ohio State's drive efficiency and you know, you talk about points left on the board for Minnesota. Ohio State is leaving a ton of points on the board pretty consistently in games and that that'll come back to hurt them and I I don't know I feel like I'm gonna die on this hill because I said it last week but I I still think that they are in line for some vast improvement from the run game as the season goes on I just don't think that they're going to be as bad as they have been and I think we do need to give kudos to Minnesota and their run defense because even when they gave up all those points to to Iowa and Maryland I don't think their run defense was particularly bad in either of those games they've been really good defending the run so can't say that I'm completely shocked and that was something we talked about I think we put the over under at 160 Ohio State was very much under yeah at 92 <laughs> rushing yards on 30 32 attempts I think 30 yeah, yeah 32 attempts <laughs> and it's just hard to pinpoint I think the exact nature of, of what's causing those problems but 
Dobbins and Weber just don't have a lot of room to work with, and it feels like they have even less in, in short yardage. I don't know what the fix is. I, I'm not on my football guy shit and know the X's and O's behind it, but I still feel confident that they're going to be able to turn it around and at the very least be an above-average unit, but it remains to be seen, and there's a lot of really strong defenses that are still left on this schedule, so even if they are above-average, it might not be good enough. So we'll see, but uh, we do need to shout out Haskins for another yeah, he was fantastic awesome. game. 33 of 44. I mean, I, I think that those guys in the wide receivers just kind of have it down. There weren't a ton of long passing plays down the field. The first touchdown to Terry McLaurin was a nice play by both of them, a great adjustment by McLaurin. Certainly something we haven't seen from him in his time except for this year, so that's awesome to see him continue to uh to play well and they were able to generate a lot of those plays through like we said in the preview you know short short routes crossing routes and just being able to take advantage of being great athletes and knowing what to do at this point so the wide receivers and Dwayne Haskins continue to be a really bright spot for the team and if they're joined by the offensive line and particularly in run blocking I think this can still be a pretty special offense all around. Yeah, and I, I will say on the, the receivers front, um, looking at, at Bill Connolly's stat profiles for Ohio State, uh, some, some of the numbers that really caught my eye in Ohio State's individual receiver stats, Terry McLaurin is both the most efficient and most explosive receiver on this team. Uh, he has a nearly 80% catch rate, which is actually one of the the lower ones on this team there are some really really good receivers on this team uh kj hills up around 87 percent johnny dixon's at about 85 which is astounding from from where he came with with being a guy who was really struggling with catching the football um i mean when austin mack is the the low man statistically speaking that's that's pretty good in a in a wide receivers group and then Terry McLaurin quietly seven touchdowns, 332 yards on the season. He has been a, a fantastic help to, to I think one of probably the best receiver groups in the country, and that's just that's wild to say with where Ohio State came from. So kind of a I, I think a, a positive there has has been how good they have been, how good they have been with Dwayne Haskins. I think they've been a big part of making him what he is. Um, speaking of positives, Ohio State has a kicker now, Blake Hobbiel. Great, great game. He he stepped in for Sean Nurnberger and nailed all three of his kicks, given two of them were, were under 30 yards, 27 and 21. But he also hit a 47-yarder in the third quarter, which is longer than all but one kick in Sean Nurnberger's uh, what feels like 10-year career here. So I, I think we called for it. Earlier in the season, I can't remember what the context was for that, but uh, man, that guy should be the starting kicker. <laughs> I don't disagree at all. And you talked about Alabama switching quarterbacks in the national championship game. You know, all I want right now is the kicker being yeah. switched. I'm not asking for much. <laughs> Just asking for Blake Hoffield to be the starter. He looked really confident though. Yeah. That 47 yarder, man. Just drilled it right down the middle. That thing was true yeah. and. That is something Ohio State hasn't really had in their bag for the last couple of seasons. And for an offense that, at least at the moment, isn't guaranteed to put up six when they get inside the red zone, it helps, it more than helps, to have a kicker that is reliable and you can count on 
you know, under 40 yards, but especially still has that leg to be able to boot that 47 yarder when you really need it. So hopefully Blake Hobbiel is able to take this job and run with it and get another opportunity this week. I think whoever uh, is the starter against Purdue is going to be put into some high leverage situations. So I think the kicking game is one that if you aren't paying attention to it, Right now, you definitely should because the games are about to get a little tighter. The weather's going to get worse. And that importance of having a solid kicker as the season stretches on, I think, is, is about to up up itself. I agree. I, I think that that's probably about it for, for Minnesota recap stuff. It was a, it was an ugly game. Really not. I mean, not, not really anything new learned. I, I think it was just kind of confirming suspicions we we kind of we we've gotten into a, a rhythm now with with ending recaps with the whole ohio state is still undefeated and that rings especially true this week because just about every team lost it felt like and we won't talk about that too much because we we're trying to keep this relatively short and sweet but it is important to point out that during what pretty much everyone has dubbed as the the annual chaos week the annual blood week whatever you call it with a bunch of teams losing to either ranked opponents, unranked opponents from Georgia to Washington to teams all over the country, really. It's, it, it, was, a, it was a bad week for, for top-ranked teams, and uh, Ohio State didn't lose. They, they thought about it. They, they certainly considered it, but they did not lose. And to this point, they are one of just a couple undefeated teams in the country, and that, that's certainly still, I, I think, something to be, to be happy about, even if there are... Uh, there are plenty of concerns with this team. I just want to bring it up really quick because there were a couple games we mentioned. Um, I'm just looking at the schedule mm-hmm. right now. Texas Tech was one that we talked about. Uh, Ohio State's win over TCU is looking looking <laughs> less and less. I was actually by the I, week. I was talking with um, I was talking with a buddy about this on on Twitter uh, about the the Big Ten's best non conference wins. <laughs> And the best one is probably Penn State over Appalachian State. <laughs> it might be yeah. at this point. Notre Dame almost got yeah. got by Pitt. Pitt'll, Pitt Pitt'll almost get you. fired up that, that cannon on him. I don't know if we talked about West Virginia and Iowa State, but Iowa State dominated yeah. that game. That's future Ohio State head coach Matt Campbell. Thank you very much. <laughs> Listen, I'm on board, baby. Texas was in for a tight one against Baylor, which we uh, we also mentioned Florida was in for it for a while against Vanderbilt. Tennessee, 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 Go Patrick. Balls, baby. <laughs> their first SEC win under Jeremy Pruitt, beating Auburn. Auburn, Auburn is, is in trash. the throes <laughs> of the most Auburn season of all time. And I, I'm probably missing one, but the game that I was like, this team is definitely going to get beat was – Miami mm-hmm. against Virginia, and lo and behold, yeah. I have no idea what happened in that game. I'm gonna watch the like condensed uh, version <laughs> tonight. I want to see how that happened because Miami, Mark Richt, he is back, baby, yeah. and he is better than ever. I believe I watched that. I had that game on kind of like a a second screen. I'm I'm trying to look up the the stats without being too loud about it because I have a mechanical keyboard and it's very loud. Um, but if I if I remember correctly, Miami's starting quarterback, Nikosi Perry, who was immediately benched, he had a, a QBR, which is ESPN's statistic for quarterback rating, essentially. Uh, he had a QBR of 0.1, which is not good. 
Listen, it could be point zero. It could be. So, Nikosa I, Perry, I, um, I respect you for your speaking effort. Speaking of bad quarterback play and ranked teams getting bludgeoned, Wisconsin got just crushed by Michigan. And I'm pretty sure Alex Hornibrook, who was named the best uh, quarterback in the Big Ten just last week by Pro Football Focus, which does college for some reason, even though their name is Pro Football. But he, he was ranked the best quarterback by them last week. He had a QBR of point seven on his way to, I think, one of the worst games I've ever watched. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that I'm shocked that Wisconsin is kind of turning yeah. out to who I think most people thought they were yeah. preseason. Also, we'd be remiss to not mention how hilarious it is that Penn State goes down yet again. Yeah, speaking of Ohio State loss, or speaking of Ohio State wins, looking worse and worse. <laughs> I, I think that that game was always going to be tough. But just after what James Franklin said after that game, it's just I I will never tire of seeing Penn State lose. Oh, that guy. Especially that both of their both of their losses this year are at home by a total of five points, and that Brian Lewerke was twenty four of fifty two. So bad. And they were still they were still able to find a way to win that game, and it's uh-huh. just hilarious to me that it it's just always gonna fall that way. Penn State I hate them so. yeah <laughs> I will I will trade a Penn State loss for a sloppy Ohio State win any day and I'll say this right now man going back to Wisco- the Wisconsin game Michigan is looking they're good eh. I, I think they're just good I don't know if I'm ready to say that they're very good but they are definitely I think the most sound that they have uh that they've been in the Jim Harbaugh era and there's still a couple things I think they need to prove but for them to beat a solid Wisconsin team the way that they did, I think says something about where they are. So we still got plenty of time before that game pops up, but man, they're looking a little scary right now. Yeah. Statistically speaking, not a great day for, for Shea Patterson. He was only 124 yards for on uh, 14 completions, but he was pretty efficient. He looks really good. He, he had a, he had a huge, 82 yard run he he's starting to look how he did at his peak at Ole Miss it it seems like Michigan's like 30 offensive coordinators are figuring out how to use this team they're figuring out how to use Karan Higdon who I think is very talented and uh, this defense is it's it's scary it's a very very good defense and that's not uh, not to give Wisconsin too much credit because I don't think their offense is is particularly good but they they didn't shut down Jonathan Taylor, but they they certainly they certainly slowed him down, and that's pretty impressive. Not a lot of defenses do that. And Alex Hornibrook had 25 yards going into the fourth quarter. I mean, they just they just crushed them. There's really no there's no better way to put it. Michigan is just just crushing teams right now, and I think they might get beat again here sometime soon as they go to play Michigan State and. And Penn State, I think one of those two teams might get them. But Michigan, right now, their strengths compared to Ohio State's weaknesses are, are very frightening <laughs> to, to look at. Yeah, I don't know if Michigan overall is better, but the way that matchup plays yeah. out at, at the you know right now is is scary for Ohio State. But luckily, we have some time before that. And one of those games we're going to talk about before that is Ohio State's game with Purdue this weekend and we're going to get into that in a more lengthy episode either tomorrow or on Thursday you guys will hear that so keep it locked here on the Holy Land podcast 
Make sure to go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show. I've noticed we have gotten a lot more reviews, and it feels like people either really like the show or yeah. they really, really hate <laughs> it, which is fine, too. We're not going to be for everybody. Yeah. We've said that, and that's fine. If you guys listen to the show and like it, we definitely appreciate it. Don't be afraid to interact with us, whether it's positive or negative. And you can do that by sending us a tweet at Holy Land Pod. You can send me a tweet at Dubsco. And you can reach Patrick at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. And also find the show at SoundCloud.com slash Land Grant Holy Land. Until next time, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. And this has been the Hangout in the Holy Land. <laughs>